This episode of The Witch Wave is brought to you by Dear Women. Dear Women is your source for ritual teas, beauty secrets, and magic potions. They offer tea blends such as Dewilda Witch for increasing dreams and intuition, and natural beauty products like their Dark Violet Luna Daga Lip Balm. And you can get 40% off their concoctions by using offer code WITCH on their website, dearwomen.net. That's dear, spelled like the animal, women.net. And use offer code WITCH for 40% off today. Today's episode of The Witch Wave is brought to you by Witch Baby Soap. Do you like to dwell in the shadows, but stay squeaky clean? Then Witch Baby Soap is the soap for you. They make fabulous occult-themed body products like coffin-shaped bath balms, tarot card soap, and crystal-embedded body butters. Their recipes are made with magical intentions, and they're free of all of those nasty things like sulfates and parabens. And now you can get 15% off orders using offer code WITCHWAVE. That's WITCHWAVE, one word, on witchbabysoap.com. So get ready to wind down, lather up, and get some Witch Baby Soap products using offer code WITCHWAVE now. The world is filled with bewitching people, and you might be one too. Welcome to the podcast where art is magic, magic is real, and reality is stranger than dreams. I'm Pam Grossman, and this is The Witch Wave. Winter solstice is nearly here, and it's a holy day that I've come to appreciate more and more. December is often such a whirl of plans and excitement and stress and overindulgence, but near the end of the month, around the 21st or so, there's this lovely, quiet sanctuary if you care to stop and step into it. As we've discussed before on the podcast, the word solstice roughly translates to sun standing still, and the winter solstice is the shortest day and longest night of the year. This is a time to contemplate darkness and the gifts of darkness. At this time, we embody the goddess Persephone, who descends into the underworld for half the year. Winter solstice marks the halfway point for Persephone's stay in Hades. She's still going to be down there for a while, so she might as well figure out ways to make the best of it. 
Maybe she's noshing on pomegranate seeds or cozying up with her shady fellow to watch Netflix and chill. Maybe she's busy making dark art or planning some springtime shenanigans. But whatever she's doing, I like to think she's figured out a way to not only cope with the darkness, but to thrive in it. Winter solstice is a time to celebrate darkness in all its forms, and paradoxically, to find the light within it. And we see this message come to us time and again. The Greek goddess of magic, Hecate, was said to have the words en erebos phos inscribed above the entrance to her temple. This phrase translates to, in darkness, light. All of the winter holidays have some element of sparkle and light to them, whether it's Christmas decorations, a blazing Hanukkah, or a crackling Yule log. And this light is arguably even more precious and appreciated because it comes at a time when we need it the most when things might feel cold and insular, and when it's difficult to see our way forward. It reminds me of a poem by Mark Strand called The Coming of the Light. He writes, Even this late it happens, the coming of love, the coming of light. You wake and the candles are lit as if by themselves. Stars gather, dreams pour into your pillows, sending up warm bouquets of air. Even this late, the bones of the body shine, and tomorrow's dust flares into breath. The majesty of darkness and the light and wisdom within it is a theme that runs throughout my conversation with today's guest, Courtney Alexander, who is the creator of Dust to Onyx, a melanated tarot deck. She and I discuss the power of honoring the beauty of blackness, as well as the illumination that can come when one walks through a dark night of the soul. She is such a wise and gifted person, and I'm grateful to her for sharing her magic with us. But before we get to that, first, let's check and see what's come through on the Witch Wire. Who is it? Wishes. So I've actually gotten two letters that are pretty similar to each other, and so I'm going to read bits of both of them. Emily writes, I am not open about my practice with friends or family, and I have only just begun to open up the slightest bit to my partner. I was wondering if you had any advice on navigating opening up to close loved ones without coming across as to be frank, crazy. (laughs) And a 16-year-old anonymous person writes, As a practicing witch, it's hard to tell people I'm a witch without them freaking out and showering me with prayers and the sign of the cross. Do you have any advice on how to tell more people, rather than just friends, that I'm a witch? So, 
to both Emily and Anonymous, and to anyone else listening who finds themselves in a similar position. I'm going to do my very, very best to answer this, but it's actually really difficult to do without fully knowing one's specific circumstances. Because there's a whole spectrum between feeling uncomfortable and feeling unsafe. And it's unfortunately not possible for me to know where either of you writers or anyone else for that matter falls in that spectrum. I'm always going to encourage people to live as fearlessly and authentically as they can. But I'm also fully aware that in certain families or social groups or regions or nations, identifying as a witch can be really risky. So it's up to you to ascertain that and to keep yourself out of harm's way. So let's dig into these two letters. Emily, in your case, it seems like you have a partner that you're starting to test the waters with. And so I'll give you the same advice I would give anyone about a partnership, which is if they don't accept and love you and your truth, then that's on them. A healthy partner is someone who wants to see you grow and thrive, even if it's because of something that they're not into themselves. My husband, Matt Freeman, was a guest on this podcast last season. And as we discussed, he is not a witch, but he honors that this is an important part of my identity. And in fact, he's come to think that it's really interesting and he's supportive of it, even though it's not necessarily his thing. And that's how our partners are supposed to be. Not exactly like us or even into all the same shit that we're into but they're supposed to make room and hold space for the stuff that ignites and excites us. So when it comes to your partner, go at your own pace, but keep going. My hope is that as you get more comfortable with these growing interests of yours, they'll see how happy it makes you, and that will make them happy too. You need to be able to trust that they will love and accept you and the things that make you feel more like yourself. If your partner, or anyone else for that matter, is close-minded and makes you feel crazy for being into witches or witchcraft, that's their problem. And it is a problem. It sounds to me like maybe, though, you're feeling a little self-conscious about your witchiness And that's fine. I want to reassure you that it's a process for most of us to become more comfortable in our witch skins, so to speak. Just know that you're not alone and that this is a valid and meaningful practice for hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people around the world. And it's growing And there are tons of stats and recent articles and books that are proving this. So you may even want to refer your partner or family or friends to some of these. Triumph of the Moon by Ronald Hutton or Drawing Down the Moon by Margot Adler are two really great books that talk about this growing movement with a lot of intelligence and facts. And that's just the tip of the iceberg. 
But most importantly, if you can articulate why this means something to you and what you get out of it, instead of feeling defensive or embarrassed about it, that may help you feel even more secure in this expanding interest of yours. You're not crazy, you have nothing to be ashamed of, and you deserve to be around people who accept and love you. Now to my anonymous witch friend, it sounds like you might be surrounded by people who are pretty religious. And from what you're telling me, at least, it seems like they're pretty conservative Christians. And yes, it can be tough to combat the misconceptions that some ultra-religious folks still have about witches. You can certainly try and reassure them that you're not doing anything harmful to yourself or anybody else, which is hopefully true. And you can try and find points of similarity between what you do and believe and what they do and believe. I often tell people that prayer and setting intentions and doing spells and doing rituals of any religion or spiritual practice are all interrelated and, in my opinion, are just different words or symbols for doing actually quite similar things, which is to ask for help or guidance, to give thanks, to celebrate life and the seasons and the earth and to align with a higher spirit and try and become the best version of yourself that you possibly can. Also, for the record, you don't have to stop the religion you were raised in to identify as a witch. I know Christian witches and Hindu witches, and I still celebrate Jewish holidays and identify with my Jewish background, even as a practicing pagan and witch. All of that said, if these folks just won't listen to you and keep making you feel like there's something wrong with you, maybe they're not worth arguing with at all. Being 16 is tough because you don't have a ton of control over where you live or who you spend your time with, but I guarantee when you get a bit older, it will get easier for you to find more like-minded or at least more accepting people. So hang in there, keep learning and doing your magic, even if you have to be low-key about it for a little bit longer. Just be kind to yourself and know that a witch is a beautiful thing to be. So, Emily and Anonymous, good luck to both of you, and please keep us posted. Now, on to my guest. Courtney Alexander is a multimedia artist, writer, and the creator of Dust to Onyx, a melanated tarot deck. She uses tarot as an avenue to visually explore the rich and complex layers of blackness and all of the meaning that word entails. Her tarot deck is a way in which she artistically, spiritually, and intellectually explores the intersections of Black identity while featuring historical facts, cultural myths, traditions, symbolism, and icons throughout the Black diaspora. Her work has been featured in such places as The Hood Witch, Teen Vogue, and Autostraddle, and the first edition of her deck, which she funded via Kickstarter, sold out entirely. 
Lucky for us, her second edition is available now, though it's selling super fast. Courtney joined me from her home in Florida via Skype. Courtney Alexander, welcome to The Witch Wave. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be on your show. I'm so excited to have you on the show. Now, you do so many different things. You are a multimedia artist and a sculptor. And most famously, you are the creator of the Dust to Onyx Melanated Tarot Deck. And that deck is definitely what puts you on my radar. I think I read about it on the Hood Witch maybe two or three years ago. Would that make sense? Yeah, I started the project in 2016. Okay, 2016. So my first question for you is the obvious one, but I'd love to kind of start with the obvious and then we can expand. And that question is, there are so many tarot decks out there. And you started out as a fine artist. I'm wondering what made you decide that there was something missing in the space of tarot? Why did you decide to create your own deck? It came from a lack that I saw in my tarot practice looking for decks that represented me. I just realized that there weren't any that I saw and connected to. And so I began to ask myself why that was. So, of course, I researched decks featuring people of color, and then I found that some of the decks I didn't connect to because they were very particular about what they were portraying, whether it was an Egyptian deck or an Orisha deck or something else that I didn't personally connect to. And then I started to realize once I was researching the creators that the creators of the decks actually were not Black people. And so that was another gap for me because, like, for example, there's a tarot deck that features a lot of African-American culture and history, but it's from this, like, very anthropological perspective. And although I appreciate the deck, I love it, I use it, and the imagery is great, it was, again, because lived experience of the creator not being there, I feel like it created a gap spiritually for me to connect to it. And so I, I realized, like, wow, there is this really huge gap in tarot where Black folks aren't actually telling our own stories. And we deserve to have tools that not only reflect us visually, but reflect us energetically and in the journey of the creator of those tools. And so I set out to create my own deck. And in the beginning, honestly, my vision for it was very simple. (laughs) It was like Black and white doodles. I was trying to like, experiment with at least contour drawings, things that I felt would challenge me. And then life happened. And I ended up going through this crazy dream experience, losing my job, going through this intense moment of panic attack and anxiety. Wow. Let me stop you there for a sec, because I definitely want to hear all about that. But I first want to describe for the listener what your deck actually looks like so they can hold these images in their mind while we're talking. And of course, I imagine they're going to want to go online and check them out if they haven't seen them already. So when I look at your deck, the most obvious thing is, like you said, the faces are people of color. Even 
more significantly, to my eye, not only are they black people, but they are literally painted with the color black. It's not brown paint that I'm seeing. I'm seeing the color black. Do you think that's a fair assessment? Absolutely. For those who haven't seen the cards, my um, artistic inspiration came from a dream of black on black paintings. And so that's where I just, when I decided to take this visual direction with the deck, once I began working on the art. So for those of you who haven't seen the paintings, they begin with a black canvas and then using white acrylic and pastel, I pull forth these portraits and silhouettes. And so from there, I began layering magazine clippings, rhinestones, sand, glitter, anything that I could find in my art studio, mm-hmm. I put into these paintings. So they're dark, yet bejeweled and they just seem like ancient and regal to me when I see the artwork now. Um, they just really came forth as these timeless ancient beings that are a reflection of me. Yes, and there's such a majesty to them. There really is like an opulence that is so beautiful that really radiates from each card. Yeah, and in my journey of creating the artwork, it wasn't like I decided to create a tarot deck and I said I wanted the cards to look like this. A lot of it really came through intuitively and through my spiritual growth that honestly kind of started off a bit (laughs) intense. But once the inspiration came through, they just came forth so quick. Like I did like the first 18 paintings I finished within two weeks. And whoa, how did you sleep? It was just like day and night. Like I was doing a couple of paintings a day. Essentially, because as I mentioned before, I had this spiritual experience and I ended up losing my job. So it was just like after I came down from the fear of panic of being unemployed between applying for work, I'm just going to put all my energy into making these paintings. I also had a deadline because there was a local art show. So it also gave me like (laughs) fire. Yeah, it by a fire up under me. But I was just surprised at how easily the work flowed and especially as a Virgo that was like very very surprising because I'm very project and detail oriented and I'm a planner mm-hmm. when it comes to creative projects so it was just something so freeing about allowing the work to come alive in the way that it intended so you know as I progressed through the artwork took about seven months to finish because then I ran a kickstarter and was handling all the business of finding a manufacturer and learning this whole distribution process that I had never dealt with before. And once I got into writing the book, the book was just an opportunity for me to revisit my work because like I said, the work came through so intuitively that it was this wonderful opportunity to restudy my own work and see what came through. Yeah, I wanted to ask about the process of infusing this deck with your own personal touches. Of course, the images are reflective of yourself in many ways, but you also have language that is unique to this deck. I was going through some of the images online, and as opposed to the major arcana, you call them ether, the minors, you call the elementals, you have gourds and blades, and can you remind me of the other suits? The gourds, blades, coins, and staffs. 
Yes. And then even some of the majors, instead of the fool, you call it the emerging one. Rather than high priestess, you use the word shaman. So where was your head at or your spirit at when you were coming up with these images and this language? I wanted every part of this deck to pay homage to the language, the history, the aesthetic of the Black diaspora. And so I worked hard to try and take something so big, so large and beautifully diverse and fit it into this 78 card deck to the best of my ability. So, you know, I was very intentional in those small details on, like, like I said, with the language, the hair fan is not a term that is necessarily used in Black culture or even reading about Black culture historically, not a term that I've ever seen used. Mm-hmm. So I changed it to the more because for us, the Moors were embodying that idea of wisdom and higher knowledge and everything. So knowing the history of lynchings, I could not consciously put a card in the deck that is titled The Hangman. Yes. So being sensitive to our history as people who have been hanged because of our skin color, I changed it to suspension more so to embody what the card itself is about being in that state of suspension of new perspective and foresight. So temptation in exchange for the devil, I know like, of course, there are a lot of Black Christians. And so I can't say that we don't have, we didn't grow up with the idea of the devil, but as far as a lot of ancient African traditions, it isn't like always good versus bad, the devil versus God. A lot of it has to do with temptation and how we choose to move through the world and the balance of power of those things that bring you joy, those creep things that bring destruction. Yes. And I wanted to be very, very conscious in how the terminology embodied the ideas of not only ancient African culture, but even those ideas that are diffused into our modern understanding of Blackness. And so in that way, I wanted to honor the complexity of Blackness taking away those negative connotations as a race, as a color story. And just in all of these areas, when we think of Blackness, because we are birthed from Blackness, you know, our universe is birthed from darkness, but yet darkness is this thing that is mysterious and to be feared. And there is still clarity. There are still things to be seen and grasped in darkness. And so it isn't this place where you just roam around aimlessly. There is so much light. It, I know it sounds like really crazy to say that there is light and darkness, but it's not the thing that isn't the antithesis of darkness. It's just changing how you view it. It's that moment where you're in the darkness and your eyes start to adjust. So dust the onyx for me has become that the artwork is that moment where your eyes adjust in the darkness. Oh, that is so beautiful, Courtney. I want to unpack this idea of blackness and darkness a lot more with you. We're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back. I've been an enormous fan of blood milk jewels for years. That's because their jewelry incorporates elements of so many fascinating and beautiful inspirations like Victoriana, Jungian alchemy, surrealism, and melancholia. Each piece has a story that adds to the aesthetic and talismanic qualities, and they're meant to be worn as psychic armor. 
These jewels are made from sterling silver and are encrusted in natural gemstones, including moonstone, labradorite, and onyx. Blood milk jewels are stunning and powerful, and my favorite part of all is that they've been female-owned and operated in Philadelphia since 2008. If you're local, be sure to check out their showroom and event space opening in the spring of 2019. But of course, anyone, anywhere can order Blood Milk Jewels by going to bloodmilkjewels.com. That's bloodmilkjewels.com or at bloodmilk on Instagram. Welcome back to The Witch Wave. Today I'm speaking with Courtney Alexander. So Courtney, we were just talking about the concepts of blackness and darkness and shadow. And certainly there's so much to unpack there, first and foremost, from the standpoint of identity, but also from the standpoint, I think, of metaphor, which is what you were starting to get into. And that's something that we talk a lot about on this show, particularly through the lens of the witch, which is a figure that's often associated with darkness and can be a scary figure for some people who don't necessarily think about darkness and shadow as these spaces of mystery and these spaces of knowledge and gifts. So when you were talking about finding the light in the darkness, that actually resonates with me really, really deeply. And you use this phrase on your website where you talk about blackness as a universal spirit. And you're talking about it in opposition to these concepts of whiteness and light, which especially in new age culture are usually associated with like higher consciousness and all these positive things, right? And I'd love Mm -hmm. to hear you talk about all that a little bit more. So especially in Western society, I think especially with Christianity and just Abrahamic religion in general being a dominant part of our culture, we are all kind of raised with this idea that white is right. <laughs> so many layers. Mm-hmm. The white angels and their white wings. And when we get to heaven, we're going to walk the streets of gold and be surrounded by clouds and castles in white. And the implications is had for what darkness means. And so I started to think about that narrative and even once I moved into more new age spiritual practices myself and began to understand universal source and love and light it was still kind of within that same bubble and anything that represented darkness or mystery or didn't seem like a light working type of spirituality was demonized and especially as a black person who are discovering the spiritual traditions that are native to my lineage, I really had to unpack a lot of my own fears around the culture that made space for me to be here today. Because when we think of African culture and spirituality, it is not seen within the same frame of other cultures. Like people definitely love to like, uphold Eastern spirituality and idea outside of Western ideas, Eastern spirituality is seen as this cultural of enlightenment, even though a lot of the belief systems and methods of worship and spiritual growth mirror a lot of what's within African culture because African culture also influenced those. But yet African culture is demonized. And so I carry that same fear 
Yeah, we see the same thing in occult culture overall, where there's this phrase white magic, which is supposed to be good, loving, positive magic, and mm-hmm. black magic is supposed to be like the dark, evil, diabolical magic. And mm-hmm. people are starting to shift away from that languaging because it does have these racist implications. And it's also very, very binary. It's either good or bad. It doesn't account for all the gradations in between and all the complexity of existence. Yeah, because we're not just good or bad humans. We all have those things, even if we don't like to discuss them. Those things that people would consider dark or inappropriate or bad. or It's like we exist within this in-between state. We're neither fully one thing or fully not one thing. So this idea that our magic is supposed to present the same way within this binary has done us a disservice because it has not allowed us to fully embrace each other or ourselves. Absolutely. And I I am imagining, and please correct me if I'm wrong, but that as a Black person, to grow up with the ideology of Blackness being associated with evil must be something that's very painful to have internalized for so long. Absolutely. Because when I got into my zero journey, my mother, especially my mother and sister, I'm very close to them, but they were worried for me. My little sister was, <laughs> even for a moment, kind of thrown off and didn't talk to me for a couple of weeks because she was just like, oh, well... What does that mean you use tarot? So it was the tarot that was making them nervous for you, that you were dabbling in the dark arts, so to speak? Yeah. And then my practice spiritually was opening up too. So getting into ancestor veneration and developing my own altars and all of these things that was very foreign to them. You know, you walk in someone's home and they got an altar, you know, they worship in false gods. It's really, really sad because of the demonization of ATRs and conjure as evil. It has definitely disconnected us from our ancestors. And so ancestor veneration is just so just ingrained in Black culture that we still do it in ways that we don't realize. Mm. But because a lot of us are still not able to do it consciously because of these pre-programmed ideas about our culture being evil, it has really created a, a wedge. Like we're, we're severed. You know, I hear a lot of people say, oh, you know, I want to go back home to Africa. I want to do this and that. And I'm like, your ancestors are right here with you, though. And they've been with you. They are in you. Mm-hmm. And it starts, like my mom always says, charity starts at home. And it starts with being able to recognize and speak out the names of those who came before you to honor their life and their journey and how it's contributing to your own. And if you can start there, then your world will begin to open up. And it's not about worship as if you're putting them on a pedestal, but it's, again, honoring because once you leave this realm, ideally your descendants will also keep your spirit here alive as well. It makes me think of this show and I cannot, I want to, th- I want to say it's American Gods. Yes, uh, the Neil Gaiman show. I think it's on Stars. It was based on his novel. Yeah, I really like the show. And one of the things it touched on was a lot of the lost gods and how because people were no longer turning to them or calling their names and everything, like they were losing power and everything. I believe it's the same thing with us ancestrally that not calling on our ancestors and venerating them 
reduces our own spiritual power. And it's not mm-hmm. just like on a one-on-one level, but our lineage. And when you look to people who are really living in their spiritual and intuitive power, there is also a very strong correlation to how they continue to keep their traditions alive. Yes, absolutely. And your cards are such a powerful way of honoring your own roots. And it really feels like there's some kind of ancestral power that emanates in them or off of them. Yeah, I definitely. I know it is because like in the cards, for those who haven't seen it, especially when you get into the core cards, I was using a lot of metallics and silver paint and their skin looks like these people that I saw in my dreams. They were these incredibly tall, like they, they didn't even look human. They were just incredibly tall. Their faces were sucking in, but not because they were malnourished. They were just very slender. And they looked so beautiful and regal. And I've seen them in my dreams on multiple occasions. Wow. And once I was finished with the court cards, I was like, oh, my court cards look like them. Yes. You know? Yes. And so, yeah, I don't think it was just my ancestors in regards to direct blood lineage, but even spiritually with divinities that are here and connected to me and my bloodline were coming through as well. Absolutely. And at the beginning of our conversation, you talked about this tarot deck being born out of a particularly dark period in your life. And I'd love to hear a little bit more about that. And I guess my question is, did working on these cards prove to be a healing experience for you? Absolutely. Okay, so (laughs) I'm going to back up. So everything moved kind of quick, not just with the creation of the deck, but even leading up to it, because I had just graduated December 2015, had just got a very toxic relationship, was just like any other graduate figuring out what I'm going to do with my art degree. (laughs) Ooh, yeah. Yeah. And so I was working a temp job. Life was just going on, playing to grad school and all that stuff. Everything seemed fairly normal. And then one night I woke up and I had a panic attack. And once I tried to go back to sleep, you know how you wake up in a dream, but it feels real, like you really woke up Yes. in your room. And so that's what happened. Like in my dream, I wake up in my room and I hear my mother's voice. And now I know my mom is like hundreds of miles away in another city. So I'm like, uh. <laughs> where, where does she live and where did you live or were you living? I'm here in Tampa, Florida. My family is in West Palm Beach. I grew up in West Palm Beach. Okay. And so, you know, I was like, okay, I know my mom isn't here. So in the dream, I like grabbed the lamp (laughs) off the nightstand because I'm ready to fight. (laughs) (laughs) And so I opened the door and I see this little shadow figure. It's my nephew. It looked like my nephew. And so I tried to turn on the light in the hallway. And just like in real life, the light wouldn't turn on because I needed to change the bulb. So I had to go by the door. So I go to turn on the light by my front door. And next thing I know, I all I can describe is as this electricity. And it mm. was so intense. It literally woke me out of my sleep and screaming. Wow. And I was so scared. What the hell is wrong with me? Is something happening to my body? Am I pregnant? Did a demon attack me? Like, I remember calling my aunt. Like, I barely got any sleep. I probably finally got myself to sleep for like an hour before going to work and on my way to work. I'm like on the phone crying to my aunt, like, oh my God, you know, I'm attacked. attacked me. I don't know what to do. And my aunt, she's like one of the only people in my family that 
practices conjure and everything. So like I was just like, what do I do? Do I need to cleanse myself? What do I need to pray? Do I need to exorcism? What? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so she calls me now. I finally go into my job and they call me in the office and they fired me. Oh my god. And I was just like, wait, what? And so that weekend I had planned to see my family anyway. So I just went ahead and left the next day to go home to West Palm Beach. And that whole time I was there, I was just going through so much anxiety. I was paranoid about the train. I literally thought I was going to die. Something was going to happen to me. And I was just having all of these intense dreams. And one of the dreams was the black on black paintings but in another dream I think the turning point for me spiritually was in this particular one where I see a tractor trailer turned over on his head and I see like blood streaks on the side and I'm walking and to my left I see these mangled bodies in the grass and the kids shoot and to the right I see this like sidewalk and it's going up into the sky and it's the clouds and the light and everything and I'm like is this the afterlife? And so I wake up. Of course, that just continues to fuel my paranoia that I'm going to die. <laughs> oh, my goodness. I'm, like, trying to process this dream. So I still have the Instagram post where I wake up one morning. I go out to my mom's mango tree. There weren't souls on this path, and there were multiple bodies in the grass. So that path may not be leading to the afterlife. You know, this path may be for me. And I have absolutely no idea what it is, but... Since I couldn't walk past, I could either stay here on the ground amidst all of this destruction, or I can take that step and see what's there. And I literally remember doing this meditation where I turned towards the sun, the sun was just coming up, and I saw myself stepping on that path and trusting. Even though it was filled with death, you were just like, I'm going to walk through this? Yeah, I'm like, I'm like, I don't know if this leading to death. I don't know if this leading to life or whatever, but I really feel like I'm supposed to take that step on this path. I'm going to see what's on the other side. Mm, so brave, Courtney. You must have been so terrified. I was, and I actually ended up staying a day because I still was paranoid about taking the train, and I finally forced myself to get on the train back to Tampa. And I started working on the paintings as soon as I got back. And next thing you know... Two weeks, I told you I did the 18 painting. I ended up getting a job at a call center. And so after I did the, the paintings and premiered them at the show, there was a great response. Like a month later, I launched a Kickstarter in the midst of working full time and was just all by myself, just still doing paintings. By the end of the Kickstarter, I was through more than half of the paintings. And I was this unknown person, knowing who I was as an artist. I didn't have a tarot platform or any authority. And the next thing you know, I'm looking at my Kickstarter and I've raised 30 grand for my debt. Hell yes. <laughs> I, I just didn't even know how to process it. So how do you interpret you walking through the field of death? In your vision, did you come to a place of knowing it was going to be okay? Or was the vision just you walking, 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 and then in your waking life, something compelled you to paint these paintings? It was more so like in my waking life, I came to a decision because in a dream, as far as the accident and everything in the mango bodies, like I tried to walk past it, around it, and there was literally no way. Like, you know, you're trying to do something in the dream and it won't happen. That's what was going on. So I either have to walk through those bodies 
or walk along that path. That was the only option. And when I and so I had to think about what did those bodies represent. And I think that it represented a life and existence that I needed to leave behind because stepping on this path meant that I needed to let some narratives about myself die. I needed to let parts of myself that believed I was incapable, unlovable, and all of these other things. There are even some relationships and circumstances needed to die. Some things just need to go. And so I either had the choice to walk through and be in this world of decay and destruction and the, or just leave that behind and let those things stay where they are. The universe will give them a proper burial. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I'm going to move forward towards whatever this light is because and it's funny that this light has led to darkness, right? <laughs> I know. And and the other thing I keep thinking about as you're talking is of course the death card of tarot, which so many people get so scared when they pull this card, but it really is a card not about literal death, but about transformation. Mm-hmm. And it almost feels like you're walking through that tarot card. And that was the very first card that I did. <gasps> yeah. That was the very first the one. The death card? Mm-hmm. And if you look at the death card compared to all of the other cards, there's a sort of quietness to it that I really love. You just have this skull there and you have this hand that is kind of lifting it up. And it's up to the viewer to decide whether the skull is slowly being lowered or slowly being raised. But, you know, there's like a kind of a golden, warm light above it as well. Mm-hmm. And so it's kind of like in a state of suspension. Yes. So I really believe that it was speaking to death not being an abrupt end. Yes. And speaking of suspension, we're going to take another quick break and we'll be right back. You've heard me gush about Mithras candles many times before, and they love you guys so much that they're now offering free shipping if you use offer code WITCH at their website, MithrasCandle.com. You know, 2,000 years ago, in labyrinthine underground temples across the Roman Empire, the first beeswax candles were burned in secret rituals to the god Mithras. Now you can experience some of this mystery for yourself with Mithras candles. They're handmade from the purest golden cappings beeswax, and with that natural, subtle honey and floral scent, Mithras candles are the perfect illumination for the mysteries of your life. So go to MithrasCandle.com, that's M as in magic, I-T-H-R-A-S, Candle.com, and use offer code WITCH for free shipping today. Welcome back to The Witch Wave. Today, I'm speaking with Courtney Alexander. So Courtney, thank you so much for sharing that gorgeous story. I have absolute chills and tears in my eyes. I just find it so powerful and so moving the way you decided to choose to move through your own darkness and look at where it brought you. I have to ask, so you started with the death card. Was there any other particular order that you consciously worked with the tarot or did you just work on whatever cards came to you? After the death card, I think I moved on to the, the chief was the next card. You know, I was looking at images that inspired me and when there was an image or something that I read that really spoke to me. The chief card 
is your version of the emperor. And am I correct that it's the face of Grace Jones? Yes, because back then, like when, after I worked on the death card, I was like trying to think about what I wanted my deck to embody. Grace Jones was the first thing that popped in mind. Her her life and her ownership of self, the power and grace she displays, and the yes. fullness in which she lives her life is what I saw in myself. What I saw in the black culture like she just was an embodiment of that energy and so that's why she was the next card and actually she's in other cards too the Mm -hmm. shaman is also inspired by an image of grace jones there's a a very old image where she's wearing this amazing hat like at some fashion show she just had on this hat and she spoke to me it's a shaman the album cover for island life where mm. she's standing on one leg. That is the two of coins. Mm. So she definitely is through the sonics. And I love that she's embodying not just traditionally feminine cards, because the emperor, a lot of people interpret that as masculine energy. And, and I realized that gendering energies is really complicated, especially with a lot of conversation we're having around gender essentialism these days. Nonetheless, I love the fact that you had the confidence to put her on what would have been the emperor card. I just think it's it's really badass. Throughout the deck, I was very conscious and wanting to also honor the LGBT people of color within the deck. And I did not speak of things in binary unless I absolutely had to. The Empress and the Emperor naturally are seen as feminine versus masculine energies. And so to combat those binaries in those cards, Grace Jones being a person who stands in masculinity, but is balanced and still hopefully operating through her femininity comfortably, like that's a quality that an emperor should have that is not just this kind of masculine forceful energy, but also that intuitiveness and foresight that comes with connections itself, which we see more as a feminine quality. And then I know a lot of people think that the empress or who I call queen mother is me, but it's actually a friend of mine named Trevay Anthony, who's this amazing singer and just embodies her energy where she's like a powerhouse singer and creator mm-hmm. and there's there's definitely something masculine about the power she stands in but her presentation and her, the healing she gives through her music and her art and the world she creates for others is what inspired me with Queen Mother and reading about Queen Mother and Benin and how they're the liaison between the different communities and so they're not just passive nurturers they are the threads that hold communities together and keeps people accountable and helps set the morals and the standards for how people operate. Therefore, the queen mother or the empress must work with the, the masculine within her. So then you have in the court cards, which I call the face cards, I use the eyes and faces of historical and even some celebrity icons. So for example, Papa Coin has the eyes of Oprah with the face of Russell Simmons. Ah, I love it. I don't stick to gendering people even in the court bars when it was all about their life journey, their astrological makeup that dictated how I saw their energy in that card. 
Mm, That's so powerful. So it sounds to me like as you were working on this, this became a kind of medicine for you. It's kind of hard to describe what I went through as an individual. I just learned so much. It was a way for me to study my own culture in a way that I hadn't had an opportunity to and to connect so many dots and just see how inclusive this whole diaspora is and like how connected we all are. And it wasn't me choosing to be a person that honored the ancients versus the moderns. I thought the ancients did it better than the moderns or the ancients is boring, so I'm just going to focus on pop stuff and modern. You know, all of these things informs who we are and how we understand the world. Mm. And whether someone is alive or dead, they're worth being appreciated and being seen and everything. And so having energies of those who are still with us versus those who have passed is also interesting because even as the world unfolds, you start to look at some of the, the cars. Like one of the things I always laugh at is like Young Gord, who is the Knight of Cups in my deck. And he has the face of Jaden Smith. Mm. And so I had no idea when I chose him to represent this card and more it was like more of a personality thing but funny enough Jaden Smith has his own bottled water line mm. that he started on um, box water so the package is sustainable he gets it from a local community and puts money back into that community because it was very important for him to create a sustainable source of water for people wow such a synchronicity yeah and even with some of the scandals that have come out for example Kanye West is in the deck and there's a very love-hate relationship with Kanye West Mm -hmm. and he is probably not surprisingly by um, Young Blade, the Knight of Swords. Mm. The Knight of Swords. The energy is that kind of love-hate. It can be someone who's very brash and forceful and has all of this mental energy that is sometimes not easily directed. Yes, yes. So he embodied that for better or worse. So by using real-life people that you can go read about and learn about, it lends greater complexity to the face cards and helps us get out of, like, the hardest thing, especially for our tarot readers, is getting out of, like, oh, this card means this and that. So we get to see examples of how these cards come to life. Oh, I love that. I love that. That's really, really cool. I also love the title of your deck so much, Dust to Onyx. And I was looking up some of the meanings of the word onyx and the stone onyx. And certainly it's a black stone. So the implication of blackness and all the different ways we've discussed are very present. But it's also a stone that is supposed to stomp out negative thought patterns and fear. It's supposed to be a shield from negative energy, and it can absorb and transform negative energy. So I thought that was a really beautiful metaphor, too. Thank you. <laughs> it literally just came to me one day driving the car. I was like, man, what I want to name the deck. And I started hearing like, dust till dawn. So I was like, okay, let me roll with this. And so I just started naming off things and it just kind of allowing my mind to run. And eventually by the time I stayed at home and pulled up in my burning box, it was just like, oh, that's the onyx. I like that. So powerful. <laughs> that it was, like I said, a lot of this was 
just very intuitive and just kind of being free and not judging my my own ideas too much. Absolutely. And I also learned that the word onyx comes from the Greek word, which means claw or fingernail. So there's even this connection with hands and tarot Mm -hmm. is a tool you use in your hands. So I thought that was really lovely too. Yeah, like onyx is a wonderful metaphor for what the deck is about. And it's it's such a powerful stone and it's meant so many different things to different communities throughout the world, like Eastern, African, European, everybody has kind of their own special association with onyx. And I, like I said, I think that embodies, again, I keep using the word complexities. It does embody that, though, just like the love-hate relationship with blackness, the confusion and the reference of this power and the recognition of this power, you know, the protection and communal aspect of blackness in this color that absorbs everything in a culture that includes everyone and everything, but simultaneously can just feel so massive that you don't know, like you feel connected to everything and simultaneously a single thing. Mm-hmm. And so you're going through my experience, especially as African American, where you feel like, yes, I'm connected to this culture at large, but because I'm going through these identity issues, I also feel so alone and segregated from everything until I wrap my mind around who I am. Yeah. And I think we all go through that just through our own identity. We recognize that we're connected to the world and we all share the same experiences, but we still oftentimes feel kind of single. I can't think of a word that I want to say right now, but you know what I'm saying where you just Yeah, like you're in your bubble. I totally do. And I think it's so incredible that you really trusted your intuition. The word surrender keeps coming to me. Like you really surrendered to the messages you were getting, the images, the visions. You let them flow through you even in regards to its name. And tarot is such a tool of intuition and surrender. So this is such a beautiful and important masterpiece that you've created, Courtney. Congratulations on it. We are just coming up on time, but we must know how can people get your deck? And I noticed you also have prints and tote bags and all kinds of other beautiful, beautiful goodies on your site. What's the best way for people to reach all of these things? So decks are um, available via pre-order at www.dust to onyx.com that's d-u-s-t two as in the number two o-n-y-x.com the deck is still currently in pre-order but they're almost here so they've already been printed and everything and they're just being shipped so decks will go out in january um and i also as you mentioned offer bags and notebooks things that i consider tarot accessories you need a good bag you need a good journal and there's a lot of great merchandise there too to go along with your tarot deck. Absolutely. And am I correct that this is the second edition? So your first edition sold out? Yes, my second edition sold out before the decks even made it here. That that was last year and I'm through over half of my inventory this time too. So next year I'm going to have to <laughs> by the end of the year print more. I tripled the amount this time and the decks have just been flying. I'm definitely very thankful for that but it has also required a lot of quick expansion yes i'm definitely working to offer more and to continue to keep dust the onyx accessible 
Well, I am so thrilled for you. I imagine it must be stressful, but hopefully it's a happy and fruitful stress that shows that so many people are resonating with the work that you're doing and that it's so necessary and so inspiring. So Courtney Alexander, congratulations again. Thank you so much for being on the Witch Wave. Thank you so much for having me. This was a really great conversation. I appreciate you. I appreciate you too. Thank you. That's it for the show. Thank you again to Courtney Alexander for joining me and for sharing her art, her darkness, and her light. Do you have questions, feedback, need some witchly advice, or just want to share something magical that happened to you recently? Go ahead and drop me an email at witchwavepodcast at gmail.com. I'd love to hear from you, and you just might make it on the Witch Wire. The Witch Wave is produced and recorded by me, Pam Grossman. This episode was edited by Rachel Jacobs. Thank you, Rachel. And myself. Our theme music is by Lycanthia. Special thanks go to Matt Freeman and Chiquita Pascal. You can check out information about this and other episodes on our website, witchwavepodcast.com. And please subscribe to us on Apple Podcast and give us lots of twinkly, glittery stars. It really does make a difference and helps other people find the show. You can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at WitchWavePod. And you can check out my witch emoji for iPhone by going to witchemoji.com or downloading it in the App Store. And please consider pre-ordering my book, Waking the Witch. Thank you so much for listening. Witches are the future. I'll catch you next time on The Witch Wave.